You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Amen. You guys sound great. It's awesome to be together. You guys sound awesome. Welcome to the regional Singles Campus and Teens Service, our annual get-together here. It is great to be together. Uh, tech guys over there, I don't have a clicker, so just I'll just you'll know when I'm going to the next slide, okay? Just read my brain over there, Sam. Appreciate the job that you guys do. How you guys doing tonight? Uh, something a little different about having church on Sunday night, right? How many like having church Sunday night? How many prefer the morning? Okay. So it's I, maybe 60-40. There's some nice things about having church in the evening. You get to sleep in a little bit, maybe do something a little different. Uh, but it's great to be together. Uh, my wife and I were at the regional marriage retreat this weekend, so that was great. Um, the marrieds were having a great time uh, learning about marriage. Uh, so it's awesome to be together. Um, we're going to be talking tonight about uh, really living the life of, of adventure that I think we all want to lead, we want to live. If you ask, ask a little kid what he wants to be when he grows up, what are some of the answers that a little kid will give? Astronaut, fireman, maybe a superhero, uh, you know, little kids. They want to have impact, right? They want to do, no, you don't ask a little kid, what do you want to be when they grow up? And they go, oh, I'd like to, you know, be an office clerk, you know, or uh, I'd like to take out the trash, or, you know, like, not that there's anything wrong with those vocations, but there's something within us that we want to do something amazing, right? We want to be on the edge. We want to lead a life of adventure. We want to have impact. And I really believe that if, if you take to heart the, the things that we look at tonight, you will learn that you can have a tremendous impact no matter what your vacation, vocation is. Even if your job is an office clerk or taking out the trash, you can really feel like I am being used by God for a greater cause and a greater purpose, just like this kid feels right there. Can do something awesome. I remember as a kid uh, wanting to be an astronaut myself, having these uh, headphones. You remember the old headphones? They, they kind of come back in style, but they had the big cans and the like, big old cord that, that came out of them. I remember having one of those uh, in, in, in the classroom when I was a kid, and me and this other kid were under a table pretending like we were in a spaceship, and we had those headphones on, and we were listening to Mission Control, and you know, we wanted to be astronauts. And Then I got a little older into my middle, uh, middle school years, and my plan was to become a comic book artist. And so I drew a lot of comics, and that was my hope. Uh, then I got into college, and you know, I was thinking something, maybe a, uh, a different kind of direction. I wanted to be a rock star. Uh, but instead, for the time being, uh, my job in college, I was cleaning dorm rooms. And uh, you know, these dorm rooms had been used by college students the entire year before I got a chance to clean them. So you can imagine what that was like. But I remember even at that time in my life as a college student uh, involved in campus ministry, learning what we're going to talk about tonight, that God is able to give you a spiritual significance into whatever it is that you're doing. So even as a college student cleaning dorm rooms, I remember feeling like, man, I am on an adventure. God is doing something in my life that's amazing. So we're going to pray and we're going to look at Acts 8. If you want to bow with me and pray, and uh, you can turn into your Bible over to Acts 8. And I'll give you a little background of what we're talking about. Let's pray. God, thank you to be able to open your scriptures. What an amazing, amazing uh, 
opportunity it is, what amazing privilege it is that we could open your word together. I pray that your spirit would be here, Father. I know he's already here, but that we would sense his presence, that he would guide and direct us. Father, I pray our hearts would be open to hear your word as the, as the individuals in the story we're going to read about were open to your word. I pray each person here can have a heart that wants to know you and wants to follow you and wants to please you and wants to lead a life of adventure for you. Uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in, uh, in uh, go back a slide there. Sorry. In, in uh, South Bay Church, the, the group that normally meets here on Sunday, we've been doing a, a worship series, a sermon series called Spirit-Filled People. Uh, that is lessons going through the book of Acts. And we called it Spirit-Filled People because it's been said that the book of Acts, the original kind of traditional title of the book is uh, the Acts of the Apostles. But it's been argued that the book of Acts uh, should be more accurately called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because he's the one that's in charge in the book of Acts. And, he, and, and, and you, you might not know that the Bible never calls the Holy Spirit an it. You, you ever call the Holy Spirit it, it is this or it is that? You know, the Bible never calls the Holy Spirit an it. It's always a he. It's a person. It's God. It's a, it's a manifestation of God. And uh, we don't have time to dig into all of the kind of background about the Holy Spirit, but know that he is the one at work in the book of Acts. And he is opening doors and he is closing doors and he is moving behind the scenes. And he is really the hero of, of, of the book of Acts. But he's the one that's using ordinary people like you and me to do amazing things. And so even as the, the, the Christians, the early Christians, faced opposition, right there at the beginning, you know, from right Acts 2 is where we, we know the story where 3,000 people were baptized and, and they, they, they are together and they're forming a community. But then right away, persecution comes. And as the early Christians face persecution, it's interesting, they gather together in prayer. And you know what they pray? What do they pray for? You guys know? They pray for what? Boldness, yes. Some of us remember the old song, Prayer for Boldness. They don't pray, God, take away the opposition. God, remove the struggle. God, uh, get rid of those persecutors. They just pray that they would be enabled to speak the word boldly. And it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly, it says. And so there is a connection between being filled with the Spirit and being on a mission. Because when the Spirit fills you, you want to do something for God. So you want to accomplish God's will in the Word. And so we're going to see that as we look at, uh, in the, in the, as we're going through the book of Acts, we see that, that there's a connection between being Spirit-filled and mission. But we're going to see that even tonight in Acts 8. So turn over to Acts 8. Uh, just to give you a little context right there at the beginning of Acts 8 in verse 1, what has happened at this point. It says, On that day... A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. But those who had been scattered, what? Preached the word everywhere they went. So what's happened at this point, Stephen is the first Christian martyr that's recorded that died. He's the first man that that we're recorded in the book of Acts to die for his faith. He was a bold man, a a man, the Bible says, who's filled with the Spirit. It it records there in the book of Acts in, in two places that Stephen was filled with the Spirit. His job was to be able to help take care of the widows that were being overlooked in Acts 6. And he and seven other brothers were chosen to help solve an issue of cultural 
uh, division that came up in the church between the, the Hellenized Jews and the, and the Hebrew Jews. That's a cultural difference uh, between sort of different flavors of Judaism at, at the, in the first century. And so there was an issue, a cultural issue. There can be cultural issues that creep into the church that happen even very early in the, tradition, you know, in, the, in the traditional history of our church. Cultural issues came in. But Stephen was one of the guys that was chosen to help solve those issues. And, uh, and then it, it switches to talking about this amazing sermon that he preached in Acts 7. And at the end of that sermon, he was killed. He was stoned to death by the authorities. So imagine if, if Stephen... You know, if one of our leaders in our church here, imagine if, you know, think of uh, maybe one of the guys that you look up to in the church, in, in whichever ministry that you're in, imagine if that person wa- was, was killed, was brutally murdered. Uh, how would you be feeling right now? You know, and then, and then not only that, but this persecution comes to where everyone is afraid for their life. And so the Bible says everyone left Jerusalem except only the apostles. So everyone is scattered. How would you be feeling, you know, if you were on the run for your faith? It's amazing to me that the early Christians, it says they spoke the word boldly. They preached. That, that prayer that they prayed, that they'd be filled with boldness, that prayer came true, didn't it? And even under intense persecution, they preached the word boldly. So then the story shifts to one of those people who was scattered by the persecution, a guy named Stephen. And he was a guy along with, I mean, a guy named Philip. He was a guy along with Stephen who uh, were on that group of seven people that had that job of taking care of the, of the widows. And so we pick up the story down in verse 26. Uh, in South Bay, uh, Steve Marici preached about Philip and the Samaritans last week. And so we're going to kind of pick up where we left off in verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandik, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appealed, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So what we're going to do is dig into this story a little bit. How many of you guys have heard this story before? Okay, so a lot of you, maybe about 70%, a lot of you guys have heard this story before. We're going to kind of dig into the two characters of this story and then make some applications for ourselves. So we're first going to look at the Ethiopian eunuch, and then we're going to look at Philip. 
and then we're going to talk about some, uh, some applications for ourselves. So the first, first thing we're going to look at is the Ethiopian, and the first point is sent to the scriptures. Sent to the scriptures. Um, and as we look at each one of these characters, I really want to encourage you to try to put yourself in their shoes. What would it be like to be this person so that we can draw a personal application from it? So where is he located? Uh, the, the Ethiopian, it says, is on this desert road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. Scholars are divided a little bit about this because uh, the, 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 the road it doesn't really become a desert until after Gaza, that the real desert is down further. Um, so it, it, there's some thought of maybe it's the, it should be translated the deserted road or the wilderness road. But either way, this was kind of a remote place that he goes to. And it's interesting how God often uses wilderness times to bring us to him, doesn't he? A lot of times the, the moments of transformation, spiritual transformation come in those times of loneliness or those times of isolation or God kind of gets us where we don't have anything else but him, doesn't he? And uh, that's just how God works somehow and, and that's where, where he is. And where is he coming from? What has he just been doing? He's been worshiping at the temple in Jerusalem, it says. He traveled all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if you know your geography, but that's not a real short distance. So he's traveled a long way to be able to worship God. And, uh, and we, he, yet he doesn't find what he's looking for there. And we'll, we'll talk a little, bit about, a little bit more about why possibly uh, he didn't find what he was looking for in Jerusalem. But, uh, but he, he, was, he was on his way home, on his way back to Ethiopia, and he's reading the scripture. But it's interesting that we don't even know this individual's name, do we? We just know his nationality, and we know a, a sexual designation about him. He's a eunuch. And what eunuchs were in the ancient world is these were men that were castrated, uh, and they served uh, in, a, in a, like this guy serves for a queen. And, uh, you know, so he, he, think about that. Think about being this person that, he, we don't even know his name, but we just know his nationality and the sexual designation about him. And, uh, you know, for, for, for all of us, we can have certain ways that people view us, right? We can have certain things that, characteristics maybe, or, or certain ways that we feel isolation because of maybe how we view ourselves, or maybe because of how others view us. And, and the Holy Spirit is all about kind of moving past those sort of the worldly designations and bringing people together in Christ. You know, there's another scripture where Paul says, here there is no Jew or Greek, there is no male or female, there is no slave or free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in this man's life. But think of the isolation he must have felt. So as a eunuch, he is, has gone to the temple and he's been turned away. We know this because the book of Leviticus says that uh, Leviticus 21, 17 through 21, you can jot that down if you're interested in reading more about this, but someone with his, in his situation would not be allowed into the temple. So he's traveled all the way to Jerusalem to worship God, and yet he would have not been able to even enter the courts of the temple to worship God because of, of his status, because of, of where he stood. So think of that. Think of, of how you would feel. You know, I don't know if you have some area of your life that makes you feel isolation or makes you feel different, um, you know, different 
people have different things. I mean, when we did a, a uh, we did in South Bay, we did a, a thing on cultural diversity and on racial diversity. And this was in the middle of like 2016, where there was a lot of racial uh, issues in our country and divisions in our country. And I remember having a lot of good talks with brothers and sisters, uh, black brothers and sisters about being black in America and what kind of experiences they had and what kind of experiences they had in, in, in my neighborhood and different things. And I remember just realizing how uh, you know, I, I don't have to think about my skin color, whereas like Calvin Johnson, we were having this talk, I said, how often do you think about, you know, being black? He said, every single day. He said, every time I get behind the wheel of a car, I think about being black. You know, that was just so different. It helped me to understand a little bit better because I don't, you know, I don't think about being white when I get behind the wheel of a car at all, you know? And, and so we have these kinds of isolating kinds of experiences. I mean, it's so much different, but I, I, I have felt a little bit of this being a student at 47 years old on a college campus where almost everyone is 21 or 22. Uh, I'm taking classes at Pepperdine University right now. Amen, Pepperdine. And so, you know, I'm riding around on the shuttle, and, you know, we have some students here. I ride that shuttle around campus, and I, you know, I do not fit in with the other students there, you know, and, and I'm, no professors ride the shuttle. You know, I might, I, I found this uh, teacher lounge. I fit in in there, but, uh, but, you know, I feel, I feel old, you know, I feel weird sometimes, you know, being in the library or being on the shuttle or whatever, and I know it's, nobody's made me feel that way. I mean, people are, I love it. I love what I'm learning, but, but imagine if, you know, I went to the cafeteria and somebody was like, oh, no, you're not allowed in here. This is only for students under 27, you know. You're clearly older, sir. <laughs> you know, imagine if I wasn't allowed into the, to, to the library. You know, you can't study here. You know, that, that's kind of a little bit of what this man must have experienced, trying to go to the temple to worship God, and yet he would have been turned away. He would have been isolated. And yet he's still seeking, isn't he? And, and he's going into the scriptures. He's digging into the scriptures uh, to find an answer. And we're going to see the Holy Spirit at work, even in what he happens to be reading at this moment. But I, I just want to make the comment that I think we take for granted our access to the scriptures. This guy is reading his own personal copy of the book of Isaiah, which is an amazing thing in the first century, that he had a scroll of Isaiah. That would have been a very, very expensive thing. So we know he had a high social, social status to be able to even have access to this, this text. But... Um, you know, we, we take for granted that we can read the scripture anytime, anywhere. Um, we had a, a, a missionary couple here a, a couple weeks ago, Jesse and Mufid, uh, from the Middle East. They, they visited, and uh, several of us were able to go to a meal with them. And Mufid, Mufid shared this story over lunch that in Yemen, there's a small underground church. There's 28 disciples in Yemen. You know, you hear about Yemen and the news and things going on there. It's cool to think we have brothers and sisters there who are you know, affiliated with us, part of our, our, our outreach there in Yemen. And someone had smuggled in four Bibles into the church in Yemen, not realizing the intense penalty that could be paid if they were caught. And these four Bibles, the brothers, it's so valuable that they cut the Bible apart into different books. Okay, you take Mark, you take Luke, you know, you take Romans, and when you're done, share it with so-and-so. You know, they're, and they're sort of passing around these different pieces of the Bible, because they don't have access to the internet there. It's not open internet. They, they can't get the Bible there. And then they'll also share these parts of the Bible with people that they've developed a relationship with, and it's gotten to a safe enough level where they can really share their faith, and, and there's enough trust that this, this person wants to study and become a Christian. It's all underground. 
And, and so uh, there was two men who were studying the Bible, brothers, uh, Muslims, who were studying the Bible because they wanted to know Jesus. Uh, and they each have a copy of this Bible, not the whole Bible, but one of the pieces of this Bible. And so both of them, they live in the same household, so they're both, late at night, they would stay up to, to read so they didn't get caught because neither one knew the other one was reading the Bible. And, and so they're both like sneaking around, sneaking the Bible late at night. Uh, and so finally one night they both catch each other reading the Bible. What are you doing? What are you doing? You know, and they realize they've both been reading the Bible trying to know Jesus. And they both later become disciples. But isn't that amazing? Isn't that so cool? But it just made me feel like, man, I, I need to uh, appreciate that I have the Bible on my phone. I have it on my computer. I can listen to it. I, just, you know, I can talk about it. You know, I need to, to, to celebrate and dig more deeply into the scriptures because the scriptures are God's word. It's the spirit communicating to us in human language. And here's how I know the spirit is working because uh, what he happens to be reading is like one of the best passages in all the Old Testament about Jesus. And so at that very moment, he happens to be reading this text. Isn't that so amazing? And he asks Philip to explain it to him. Uh, I, I want to show you uh, what a scholar has put together. Uh, throw the next slide up there uh, about this passage. Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. We'll get to that later. Oh, go, go to the next slide. I'll show it to you right now, and then we'll, we'll skip past later. So this is, uh, this is the uh, kind of story, the narrative that we're looking at. And, and this is what's called a chiasm, chiastic structure. So see where it says A at the top? It says Philip got up and went from Samaria to Gaza. And then A prime at the bottom, Philip passes through all the times from Gaza north to Samaria. And then B up at the top, Ethiopian eunuch worships and reads scripture. And then B prime down below, Ethiopian rejoices. Uh, D up above, or C up above, Philip runs according to the Spirit. Down below, C prime, Philip snatched away by the Spirit. So you see how it's, it's kind of, that, that's what a chiastic structure is if you're familiar with narrative or whatever. So this is something that, that the ancient world would use. And so the focus, the central point of this narrative is who is this prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? So isn't that cool that even when Luke put this story together, the central issue is who is Jesus? The central issue is who is this person? And the passage he's reading, you can go back to uh, there, sent to the scriptures. So the passage he's reading is from the book of Isaiah. And this is one of several passages that are called the, the servant passages. They're about this, this person called the servant of God that's in the uh, book of Isaiah. And, and, and the Jews were di divided on who is this person and who is he supposed to be? And is it Israel? Is Israel fulfilling this? Or is it just Israel in, in, in her perfect form fulfilling this? Or who is this person? But when you read through Isaiah 53, the end of 52 and the beginning of 53, and you see all the parallels to Jesus, it's just staggering. We did this for an apologetics night with the singles uh, a few weeks ago. And I encourage you to do that on your own. It will build your faith. Because this, this passage that he was reading was written 750 years before Jesus. Uh, it's part of, you know, at the time of, uh, you know, the, 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 the exile. It, it, it's possible that it was a little bit later. It's possible it was the 550s or so. But no doubt it was hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. And so he's reading this passage that perfectly illuminates who Jesus was to become, and just happens to be reading it while Philip comes and, and walks up and asks him, do you understand what you're reading? Isn't that amazing? Wow. 
So, you know, Philip says, you understand what you're reading. Now, the Ethiopian eunuch, he's a wealthy guy. Uh, he's up on his chariot. He's got probably, a, you know, other people traveling with him. He could have taken a front with that question. Do you understand what you're reading? And yeah, he doesn't, does he? What does he say? How can I unless someone explains it to me? He, and he asked Philip to come up and, and oh, they, they read the scriptures together. And I think that's really important because that's the way to get to know God better is often through relationships with other people. God gives us his scriptures, but he also gives us other people. And so often it's kind of like the scriptures plus relationship leads to transformation. A lot of us grow up maybe knowing a little bit of the Bible or, uh, you know, reading a little bit about it, but there's something about reading it with someone else that makes all the difference. There's something about having someone walk with you through the scriptures or, or demonstrate for you uh, what the scriptures uh, mean that, that's so transformative. And I, I want to give you an example of, of, of this kind of a demonstration. So uh, I've had carpal tunnel syndrome with my uh, wrist, and so I've been having an issue where I've got to wear this brace every time I use the, the computer, and it's kind of gotten worse and worse. So Andre Costa was telling me about how he got this gyroscope ball, and that sort of solved the issue for him. He had carpal tunnel, and he started using this gyroscope ball. So I went on Amazon, and I bought it, and I, and I tried it, and, and it was one of those things where it, it, it's obviously written by people that don't speak English. Like, it's all English, but it's not really written, you know, whoever put it together didn't know English that well, do you know what I mean? Uh, we've all probably seen those kind of things that are sort of made in China. It's like most excellent tool for skill. You know, it's sort of like not really the way. And so like, like it had on there junior and then some explanation and then senior is some explanation I couldn't really understand. So I thought it meant like a young person or an old person. Uh, but later I realized, no, it meant like beginner or advanced. But you know, their way of doing it was junior or senior. So anyway, I'm trying to learn how to do it. So, so I know there's a string and I know you pull the string. And so, you know, you, you pull it and, it and it moves for a minute. And so I'm holding it and then, and then it just stops spinning. And so I'm like, that's it? You know, so I, kept, I was trying to pull it harder and I couldn't get it to work. And, you know, uh, so then you know, I didn't try that hard, but I just tried a little bit, you know, read the directions, tried it. I couldn't do it. So I was like, maybe it's just cheap, you know. Uh, so then I saw uh, Andre a couple weeks later, and he had his ball like this, and so he brings it out, and, and he walks up. So he gets it, but he, he, he shows me you kind of work with it, and then you get it spinning, and then you get it like faster and faster. Can you hear that? So then it's really, really, really going, and there's all kinds of torque on it, and it really works your, your wrist. So I did this for like a week, and I can now type on my computer for hours at a time, and it's like my carpal tunnel is gone and all that. It was really awesome, but, but I never could figure this out until I had someone demonstrate it for me. And I just, I, I mentioned that because living the life of a disciple or really learning about God from the scriptures, I think the best way is through personal relationship getting the Bible open and learning together. There's a reason, even Paul, who Jesus appeared to personally in the next chapter, uh, he sends Ananias, the Spirit sends Ananias to Paul. And then Barnabas is in Paul's life. And we need people in our life. So if you're new to this fellowship or you're new to the church, uh, I encourage you to do what this Ethiopian did and ask, can someone explain this to me? 
and get the Bible open and read it together. That's going to make all the difference. Have the humility to do that. Uh, so then, then they get to the, the water, uh, come along water. It happened to come along water in, the, in the, this wilderness desert place. Again, the Holy Spirit is at work, right? And what's the, the Ethiopian's question? Is there anything to keep me from getting baptized? Now remember the rejection that he experienced at the temple. Even this verse that he's reading, it talks about how the servant of Yahweh, the, the servant would be humiliated. Maybe he was finding a connection there because of the humiliation he had exper experienced. And so maybe he's asking Philip, oh, I'm probably not allowed to get baptized, right? Because I'm a eunuch, because I'm different, because I don't, you know, I, I, I wasn't able to worship at the temple. Maybe he was afraid that he would be turned away. And maybe, you know, you have felt like you don't deserve to be a Christian or you, you can't, God can't salvage your situation or maybe you feel like I've drifted too far or, or I've been in too much sin or God can't help a person like me. And I want to encourage you that maybe God has led you to this, this story to show you that there is a place for you in God's kingdom, uh, that God does bring everybody into his, his temple uh, and into his kingdom. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about seek, uh, sent to the seekers. Let's talk about seekers. So let's talk about Philip for a minute. Uh, Philip, uh, again, his friend Stephen has been killed, and yet he is receptive to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit leading him. Uh, it says that the Spirit says, go to this desert road. Go to that chariot and stay near it. And what does he do? He is responsive. He, he listens to the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit, and he acts immediately. And uh, so even in this probably struggling time, this difficult time, this trial that he's experiencing, he's responsive to the Spirit, and, and, and he has an impact for God. You know, I don't know if you're a disciple of Jesus, and you're a follower of Jesus, and, 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 and you know, how responsive are you to the Spirit's leading? And when you do go through times of struggle, as we all will and we all do, are you still responsive to the Spirit? Are you still listening to Him and allowing Him to lead you? You know, in our family, we've gone through different challenges the last couple years. We've had health challenges and, and things breaking down challenges and theft challenges. And, you know, a lot of just, it's been a challenging couple years. And it's easy to turn inward. It's easy to just feel like, okay, I got to just focus on me. Or, I, you know, instead of being outward and letting God still lead us and letting God use us. But I'm, I'm telling you, I think sometimes the times when we're the most broken or the most hurting or the most vulnerable, those are the times we're the most useful to God. You know, if we just let him lead us and let him use us. Remember what God said to, to, to Paul? My power is made perfect in what? Weakness. So Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So even if, 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 if we're going through a challenge like Philip was going through, now's the time to still be led by the Spirit. Uh, but I, I love that this guy, he's reading the, the best passage in the Old Testament about the Bible, uh, about Jesus. He's reading it out loud. The ancients often read out loud. Uh, he's obviously open. He's obviously seeking, right? But the Holy Spirit just has to connect the two of them. And so the Spirit says to him, go, go to that chariot and stay there. And it reminded me of when Jesus told his uh, followers, when he sent them out, he said, go find a worthy person and stay with them. Uh, search for someone who's a person of peace and stay in that home. Uh, stay with them. And if, if somebody doesn't listen to you, shake the dust off your feet and move on. And I mention that because, you know, as ambassadors for Christ, as those who've been sent by the Spirit, all we're doing is trying to make those connections. We're just looking for people who are searching already 
You know, the Holy Spirit, he's the one doing all the hard work in this story, right? It's just a matter of Philip listening to the Spirit leading him and then making that connection and then being bold enough to speak up when the guy asked, you know, uh, who is he talking about? Or, you know, so it's just being receptive to the Holy Spirit and then speaking up when, when God asks. But we're not trying to convince people of something that they totally are opposed to. We're just looking for the people who are already searching for him. You know, how many of you who, maybe if you didn't grow up in the church, but, but you, you know, God, God found you and brought you into the church, how many of you prayed a prayer like, God, show me that you're real or send me someone or show me, you know, that, that you exist? How many of you guys prayed something like that? Guys, look around at all the hands. You know, that's how the Holy Spirit works. So often, you know, I was praying and then I met so-and-so. I was praying and then somebody asked me to church. I was praying, God, show me that, that you exist. And then somebody, you know, read the Bible with me. That's how the Holy Spirit works. So we, we are just to find those who are already seeking, find those who are already open. You don't know who could be open right now. We, we count people off sometimes, you know, at our job or... Uh, in our classes or, or whatever, you know, that person's probably not open or who knows. But we just don't know, right? Only the Holy Spirit knows what's going on in people's lives. So we've got to be responsive to his leading and allow him to use us to, to help people uh, and, 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 and open do- that will open doors. Uh, you know, have you been receptive to the Holy Spirit if you're uh, a disciple? Have you been al- you know, living on the edge or have you been sort of self-protective and hiding out, seeking, uh, shrinking back. You know, I've been trying really hard to listen to the Holy Spirit in this hard time that we've been going through and trying to let God use me and trying to be outward focused. And so I've, I've been going to the YMCA and meeting new people and, and um, trying to get people into a relationship with him through that. I've been trying to use music uh, to, to make new connections, uh, trying to reach out to people in our neighborhood. But a lot of it is just listening to, to, to God. And, and so like the other day, uh, there were some people that play uh, volleyball who were texting back and forth about maybe meeting up at the park. And it was a group text. I didn't even know everybody that was on there. And I, but I, I kind of felt this prompting, like, just add a, add a comment on there that we're having church at the park and we're playing some volleyball. And, you know, part of me is like, oh, no, that'll be stupid. And I don't know what everybody on the group. T- it's a group text. And I don't know. I don't want to be like that weird guy or whatever. I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it. So I just put a little text on there. Okay, we're meeting at the park, you know play volleyball there maybe you know and a guy and his family showed up you know and and uh and and came and and you know you just never know and and uh even as I was putting this lesson together and thinking about being receptive to the spirit I'm I'm in the library and I'm doing some research and I was reminded about this this family that that we ran into on Halloween that was uh you know trick-or-treating around our neighborhood that we hadn't seen in a couple years they had moved away and then I remembered I still had his number so I texted him uh in the middle of you know working on this lesson hey great to see you uh, love to have you guys come out to church, blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah, we'll, love to, we'll have to take you up on that, and let's get together, and we'd love to go see a soccer game when Cora starts playing for South and all this. You know, just, it was just a matter of listening to the Holy Spirit, right? And then and acting on it, then following through and doing something. So for us today, last point here, sent by the Spirit. For us today, will you allow the Holy Spirit to to use you in, a, in an adventuresome way uh, in fulfilling scripture like Philip did. Uh, I want to show you a verse uh, on the screen here from Isaiah 56. This is really, really cool. Look at this verse. It's on the screen. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I'm just a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, 
To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. You know, imagine being the, the eunuch and being Philip and going down in the water and him being baptized, him being joined to the family of believers. And, uh, you know, that was a perfect fulfillment of this verse, wasn't it? The eunuch was a foreigner, as it says there in the first sentence. And the eunuch uh, perfectly fulfilled the rest of this passage that he was brought into the temple in a, in a, in a, a spiritual way, that he, became, he joined the body of believers in baptism, which is participation in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. You know, he was able to fulfill this verse in his life. Who knows what verses you could fulfill in your life if you are receptive to the Spirit. I want to show you a few verses on the screen. Things like uh, 1 Peter 2.9, declaring the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His wonderful light. Seeing other people declare God's praises as you see them come out of darkness into light. Or even in your own life, coming out of darkness into life encouraging one another daily so none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You can see this verse fulfilled in your relationships that the encouragement you help someone else with, they could now not be led, away, led astray into sin. God sets the lonely in families. Psalm 68, 6. God could use you to help someone who's lonely become a part of a family. In Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We can all be a part of fulfilling that verse in our day. Just as Philip and the eunuch were seeing Isaiah 56 come to life in a real tangible way in this story, we can see the Holy Scriptures come to life in our life. We are part of his redemptive story. We are part of what God is doing in this world to help hurting people. We are part of his mission. We have been sent by the Spirit. And so the question is, where have you been sent? Do you feel sent? You know, if you're a disciple of Jesus, do you feel like, oh yeah, I've been sent somewhere? Or are you kind of self-consumed or caught up in, in your own problems or issues? I'm telling you, you have been sent by God. Wherever you are, that's where you've been sent. Whatever job you have right now, if it, if, if it is a job like mine of cleaning dorm rooms, you know, I was sent to that campus. I was sent to those students. Uh, there were st students on that campus that became Christians that are still doing things for God today that God used me to work. You know, I'm a musician. I've been sent to musicians. Uh, I, I was just thinking back about a couple musicians that I had, had baptized or studied the Bible with that still today, they're, they're still doing things that God is using and multiplying way beyond what I ever would have imagined, you know, 20 years ago or 25 years ago when I studied with some of them. Uh, I was at Michael Agabau's uh, 40th birthday a couple weeks ago, and God is just using this guy. He put out three CDs in the last couple years, and he's got this whole ministry uh, there, and God has used him to encourage all these other families. He leads all the, all the worship in his, in his church, and they do this fundraiser for hope every year, and just all kinds of stuff that, I mean, God has multiplied his work just because we had this musician connection that God used. And it just makes me think about what other musicians in L.A. have I been sent to? But think about your life. Who have you been sent to? And how will God uh, use you to, to transform communities? Uh, Irenaeus, uh, just in closing, this uh, a, a guy who was born in 140 A.D., so he's really early, like 
shortly after the first century, kind of the second generation or third generation of disciples. He wrote that the Ethiopian eunuch was responsible for evangelizing all of Ethiopia. So Philip was sent to this one seeker, and then that seeker was sent to a whole country, you know. So you never know who you could impact. You never know how the whole world could be changed by one interaction, just like this interaction that we read about in the scripture. It's all a matter of being open to being sent by the Spirit. Amen? So we're going to hear a real-life story right now. We're going to have a, a personal testimony from Stephanie. So Stephanie, come on out here. Stephanie is a... Uh, Stephanie is in the UCLA ministry, so she's going to share a little bit about her own uh, personal journey, and then uh, I'll come back up and we'll pray for communion. So, Hi, guys. Hello. Okay. You are nothing. You are simply nothing. Nothing you do can change that. You're worthless. You're insignificant. You are not worth loving, caring, or even considering. You are something to be hated, to be repulsed to be mocked, to be used. Every day, these are the lies that Satan tells me. These are the lies that I can so easily believe as truth. Before being a disciple, I chased after my value by how well I did in school, how well I was by my peers, by my family, um, meeting expectations that other people had for me um, by the impure relationships I willingly chose to be in. I had to be the best student, the best daughter, the best sister, the best friend, the best girlfriend. I sought security in my relationships, in my friendships, my family. Um, I was super prideful in my faith that I thought I had. Um, I went to Christian schools since fourth grade um, up to my senior year of high school and thought that just believing in God was enough. Uh, that's all I needed to survive. The depressive thoughts, um, the hatred, the bitterness, um, and the loneliness that I felt. But I didn't know God. Um, I didn't know he wanted me. I didn't know he wanted more for me. I opened myself up to a lot of pain uh, from others willingly because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. That's all I was worth. If I wasn't chasing after other things, um, I would be really numb to my life and I would fantasize very vividly about taking my own life. And in the midst of all my insecurity, all my pride, all my sin, I felt comfortable. I felt like the life I was leading was all I was worth, and that was that. This was life. Um, there was nothing better for me because of who I was and who Satan led me to believe who I would always be. There was no hope until I found myself at the cross. The first time I studied the Bible, I was so pumped up, but then it came to talking about how I sinned against God, how I have done things in my life that put Jesus on the cross. And I still want to believe I was a good person, there is definitely a lot of pride, fear, and insecurity in me that I allowed to stop me from seeing that God wanted me, flaws and all. So I stopped studying the Bible, um, but life didn't stop. Uh, things still got hard. Family situations were happening and more lack of friendships and even more insecurity. And I just felt like I was drowning and I didn't have anything or anyone that I could hold tight to. So I restudied the Bible a few months later um, after that, there had to be more, I just thought that there had to be more to life, that I had to matter in some way. And on the day I was baptized, almost two and a half years ago, um, I remember my parents were arguing before, and I remember being in a place with God where 
I knew I didn't care what was going on. I just wanted to be baptized, and I wanted to continue my love story with God. Whoever was there at my baptism, whoever wasn't, I just wanted to be in God's grace. I just wanted that, and that nothing else mattered at that moment. Um, I wanted to be filled with his infinite love. I needed him first in my life. I knew the circumstances of my life weren't going to change, but God was going to transform me through them. So the cross to me is just that, um, hope. In Exodus 14, 12 through 15, um, the Israelites just left Egypt and God is about to give them the command to cross the parted sea. But the Israelites um, cried out, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, you need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on and they cross the parted sea. When God tells me to be still or to wait, this does not mean not to keep moving forward. I've come to learn waiting and being still are actions, actions that lead to hope. Um, Within those moments of waiting and stillness, as I'm pressing forward, no matter how difficult or how long or how uncomfortable it may be, God will part seas. What is me picking up my foot compared to God parting water to allow me to pass and walk through? God will do all the work. All I need to do is hope and put one foot in front of the other. I fight for the daring faith to put one foot in front of the other every single day. The Israelites, if they chose to stop, would go back to Egypt and stay as slaves. But they didn't. For 40 years, they kept putting one foot in front of the other to get to the promised land because of hope. They didn't do it perfectly, but they persevered through it. God doesn't call me to stop and turn back to my old ways. Um, He has called me to hope in him and his goodness and the good he wants for me. Again, life keeps happening. Last year, I went through the grief recovery program. And over the course of two months, I had worked on 28 different relationships in my life, Um, family, friends, any connections really I had with people. Um, And two weeks ago, my uncle passed away from brain cancer. Um, My favorite memory with him, um, I read Psalm 139 to him. Um, and it became his favorite scripture, just as it's always been mine. I stand before you as a disciple, completely devoted to God and who wrestles to have joy and security in God every single day. Despite the lies of Satan, despite the heartache and the brokenness, despite the grief, I wrestle against my natural instincts to isolate or be alone or be anxious. And having this relationship with God gives me the motivation to fight for hope and the daring faith. I can fight because it's not on my own strength. I'm just a vessel, a very broken vessel that shouldn't even be functional, yet by the grace of God, I'm a very broken vessel that's sufficient enough. I continue to allow God to test me and know my anxious thoughts to keep cleansing my heart over and over so he can have his rightful place in my heart. I'm still insecure, I'm still imperfect, I'm still fearful, and every day, every moment, Satan tells me lies things I so easily and instinctually want to believe. So every day I continually have to surrender to God and remember the cross, to have a willing and surrendered heart so that God can work a new thing in me. I deny everything about me that comes so easily so I can get to know him more and more because he is so worth it. 
The beauty of biblical hope is that it's based on someone permanent, constant, and someone who will not hesitate to do God's will by sacrificing himself for me, and that's Jesus. I want to close with Psalm 91, 14 through 16, and um, kind of explain in the way that I heard God say it to me this morning. Because you love me, says the Lord, I will rescue you, I will protect you, for you acknowledge my name, you will call on me, and I will answer you. I will be with you in trouble. I will deliver you and honor you. With long life, I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. Because of Christ's sacrifice, God is with me, and there's a hope that I would have never known if it weren't for the cross and for Jesus. Thank you for letting me share. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray for communion, and uh, then we'll share that together. God, I know the verse that uh, the Ethiopian was reading uh, was really about what Stephanie just shared about, that um, you know, it says that, that he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. We considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Uh, God, we don't deserve the forgiveness that we have through Jesus' blood, but we're so thankful for it. And we're so thankful for the power of the resurrection and that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead can be at work in our lives through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this time to remember Jesus' body and blood given for us. And I pray that you bless this meditation of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us. 